So whirlwind of a past few days for us. Ellie's birthday was Friday, and so we organized like a class party of all things. We had 22 kids at our house and had all these games and pandemonium. And during that time, I found out that someone had decided to become an imposter of me and try to get money from pretty much everyone in church leadership by sending them all an email, reading those Amazon gift cards and all that kind of stuff. So I had to figure that out as I'm running this birthday party. Yesterday, we went to Canada's Wonderland, which was awesome. But when we got there, we got like the two-pack because that's just a better deal, and the Dutchman and me liked that. But we found out that it was expired, so we couldn't get in as soon as we got there. So we had just driven two hours to get to Wonderland, and now it's like, okay, do we spend $300 now to everyone get a ticket, or what do we do? Um, luckily, we, they were very generous to us and gave us a really good deal, but it was a terrible moment there. Quick thing about Wonderland, and if you see me wobbling around, part of me is still on those rides, and, and I'm still figuring out. I mean, we kind of discover this as we're getting, thank you. We kind of discover this as we're getting older, but I found that not only could I not ride the spinny rides, I couldn't look at the spinny rides. Anyone else? Yeah, it gets bad. Kids, just understand, it gets bad. <laughs> But it's that feeling. So this is, this is that feeling of acceleration. I'm just, this isn't connected to the sermon. I'm just commenting on it. But you guys know that feeling? You're going up the hill. It's that feeling of anticipation. And then that first drop-off. And the rides now are getting so crazy. It's, it doesn't just go down a hill. It literally feels like it goes inverted. It goes so far straight down. It's that crazy feeling of acceleration and drop and losing your stomach. And it is a wild ride. And so that's... If I'm a little shaky or woozy this morning, <laughs> I'm still recovering. It was, it was a good time, but it was, uh, it was a wild time. Again, that's not connected to the sermon. I'm just... So we are to, uh, today in a series called Misfits of the Bible, and Brent started us off wonderfully last week. Thank you, Brent. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, it was absolutely fantastic, and it, it really resonated with me. One of the first things he was talking about was who is a misfitter? How do you define a misfit? And two of them that stood out to me were oddball and ordinary. This idea of being ordinary. And one of the reasons why we're doing this series on misfits of the Bible is to help us see that God wants to use people regardless of where they are. He used the story of Moses. And what was Moses trying to do in his discussion with the angel in the burning bush? Over and over and over again, he was trying to discredit himself. God, you can't use me. I'm to this. And, and maybe it's being an oddball. He had, he had done some negative things in his life. He had, uh, he had killed someone. So he, maybe that discredits him. A lot of what he was talking about, though, is just being ordinary. That he was just so ordinary that how could God use him? Now that one really resonated with me. I don't know if it did with you, but a lot of times we think I'm, I'm too vanilla. God uses people who are, 
eccentric. God uses people who have had a wild ride of a life story, who really have a crazy testimony, who were at this high living and, and all this, and then they found God, and they, those are the people that God uses. It's not people like me who were born into a two-parent household, and we always try to do these things to discredit ourselves. Now, we could subtitle this, or we could describe the series that we're in in a couple different ways. One of them is, it's the unlikely men and women who shaped the kingdom of God. That, that is what we're talking about. We're talking about unlikely men and women who shaped the kingdom of God. Another way is that we are looking at people who discovered that God wanted to use them regardless of their age. Maybe they felt like they were too young or maybe they felt like they were too old. Maybe they felt like they weren't educated enough or that they were too educated. Maybe they were too rich or too poor. Maybe they were too odd or maybe they thought they were too plain. But God wanted to use them regardless of where they were on that spectrum, no matter where they were plotted on that graph, God wanted to use them where they were at. So who is a misfit? You could say that we're all misfits. You could say that we all feel like we are in some way maybe too odd or, or maybe too plain. We're gonna look at one such person today. We're gonna to be looking at the story of Gideon. I absolutely love the story of Gideon. I love how God, he got to partner in with what God was doing, but also he was, he was timid in this. He wasn't just all in right away. He was afraid. We're going to be talking about this through the lens of identity. You see, Gideon really did believe that he was too plain. He believed that he was too weak, that he wasn't significant enough for God to use him. But then God comes in and shares a word with him that changes the trajectory of his life. It changes the trajectory of his story. Identity is something that we have to talk to, talk about. I don't think many of us will be surprised to hear that we are living in one of the most lost societies that has ever been. I, I don't think you'll be shocked to hear that individuals are confused and they are searching for meaning and they're searching for identity without a clue of where to find a valid source of this. We need to hear a word from the Lord. We need to hear a word from the Lord of who does God say that I am? Who does God say that you are? Let's pray. Holy Father, I pray that today you do in our hearts, you do in our minds, that what only you can do. Holy Father, may your name be glorified. 
May your name be lifted up high in this place. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we are going to be in Judges 6 today. I encourage you to open up there. Now, where we find ourselves in today's biblical setting is after Moses opposes Pharaoh, takes them out of Egypt, out of slavery, they go through the wilderness, they end up in the promised land. Now, in these days, there was no king. The Lord was to rule over them. The problem was that people would do whatever was right in their own eyes, and that wasn't always what was right. A lot of times they would choose what was convenient over what was right. They would choose what they felt over what God had actually called them to. So we're in this time where people are doing what is right in their own eyes, and in, in verse 1 we see that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So we're not off to a good start. And so he gave them over into the hands of the Midianites because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other people, other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined their crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkey. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished, this is a key verse right here, Midian so impoverished impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, we are in a lost society. Things are not going well. We see hurt, hurt people, people searching for validation. We see wars we see catastrophes. We see torn relationships. We are in a very difficult time in so many different ways. Now, I love this last verse. Things got so bad, if we can paraphrase it. Things got so bad that those belonging to the Lord cried out to him because they realized their need and desperation for him. I think we're in this time. I think we are in a time where we need to cry out to the Lord and ask for him to do what only he can do. In our schools, in our government, in our city, in our own lives, to see God do what only he can do. So verse 7 when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. So a prophet is one who comes, very simply, and shares God's perspective. Shares God's perspective. So he comes and says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and delivered you from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. Another key phrase here. But you have not listened to me. Essentially, God comes in and says, all these things that you're talking about, I do the opposite. I do the opposite of all this, but you're not listening to me. You're not putting me in my rightful spot. You're not making me God. You're making all these other things God around you. A humbling verse. A verse that should shake us to our core. Are we living as though God is God? So now the the scene changes. And here we have the angel of the Lord, in verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. I had to read that about five or six times to make sure it didn't say Oprah. That that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, that's, that's a really interesting thing, that he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Those are, those are two separate things. We find out later on in the text that they actually had a wine press, that Gideon's family actually had, sorry, had access to a threshing floor. So the way this worked is you would put all the, the wheat down, and then you would trample it in one way or another, and then on a windy day, they would have effectively like a wind tunnel, and you'd throw it all up, and the wheat would come back down, the chaff would blow away. So in such a way, you're able to separate the wheat from the chaff. But he's separating it in a wine press, so we have to ask why. Well, if you remember earlier in the chapter, we found out that the Midianites came in and they took out all the crops, so they had totally devastated all of the wine, all of the all the grapes and vineyards and everything. And so, whereas the Midianites may have checked a threshing floor, they most likely would not have checked a wine press. So Gideon was doing this, and it it even says in, in this verse, it says he was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. He was doing this. This is actually a brave thing that he was doing. But I think there's also some symbolism in this. Separating the wheat from the chaff. It's effectively finding out what is true and what is not. This is a, a biblical term. People have used this term, separating the wheat from the chaff. What is true, what is not. And he was doing this in a wine press. Now, when I think about the wine press, I think about the Spirit of God. So he is trying to discern to, to put some different language around this, he is trying to discern the truth by way of the Spirit of God. So he's in this place of, we will say, openness. When, in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What a powerful verse. What an incredible thing to have the angel of the Lord come and say to you. It can also be noted as an odd thing. 
Why would he say that? What's the point of coming in? Very few people get introduced or welcomed that way, let alone by the angel of the Lord. We're going to find out in just a second. Gideon begins to go into a lot of excuses, and, and maybe we might change the words on this, but I think a lot of these questions are questions that we have today. Gideon replies, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this been happening to us? Don't we ask that? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us over to the hand of Midian. Bunch of difficult questions in there. Hmm. But the angel doesn't focus on that. The Lord turned to him and said, Go, in the strength you have, and save Israel out of Midian. Am I not sending you? Okay, now we're about to get to the part of it. The heart of it, rather. In verse 15, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? This is, this is what we all say in, in, in different ways, I understand, but when God is calling you into something, it's like, surely not I, Lord. I'm too plain. I'm too ordinary. I'm too... Well, what Gideon says is, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So now we see why in verse 13 he says, God is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> You see, God didn't see Gideon the way that Gideon saw himself. God saw, Gideon saw himself as being the least of the least, the weakest of the weak. That's how Gideon saw himself. Can we get this slide, please? Now, what is interesting is we need to ask, what determines our identity? Is it our thoughts and beliefs? Is it our past? So here we have a B and an I. You see that on the behavior and identity. And in behavior we can do, these are your actions, these are your thoughts, these are your feelings, this is your past. It all kind of comes together in this term of behavior. Your behavior and your identity. So you think a certain way. You act a certain way. You are told that you are a certain way. And what does that do? That you begin to identify that way. And when you identify that way, it makes you behave that way. And you can see this just circles and cycles and grows and grows. Gideon believed that he was weak. And this changes the way that he identifies, which changes the way that he acts. This can work with all sorts of things. This can work with uh, intelligence. If you start answering a lot of questions in school and you start getting right, people start telling you you're smart, you begin to identify as being smart, or it can work with the same thing as being sporty, or being funny, or being a distraction, or being a nuisance. 
if you are being told a certain way, you are seeing yourself in a certain way, you're going to act that way, and then you're going to identify that way, and it just keeps going around and around perpetually. So this is where Gideon was. He was feeling as though he were weak. But then next slide. Then the Lord comes in, and this, this is the P that I, I counted as a P. This can stand for prophecy. This can stand for, for perspective. But it's when the Lord comes in and speaks something. You see now, the prophecy leads right into identity. The perspective of the Lord is designed to change your identity, to change the way that you identify. Here the Lord speaks, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior or mighty man of valor. God is with you, mighty man of valor. He's trying to change the way that Gideon sees himself. Because if he can change the way that Gideon sees himself, he will change the way that Gideon acts. Gideon's self-image was poor at this point, and this was a defining moment. I might argue this was the pivotal moment in Gideon's life when the Lord spoke identity into him, when the Lord changed the way that Gideon viewed himself. You see, the story goes on, and Gideon does the, the fleece, right? We've, we've seen the story of the fleece. He goes on and does a battle. Now, interesting piece here is that it was roughly 32,000 Israelite soldiers versus 135,000 Midianites. And God says, no, nah, I don't like these odds. If you guys win with 32 to 135, you guys are going to think that it was you. So he sends people home. It's 10,000. He's like, nah, still too much. So it goes down to 300. Because that way, if the Israelites win, they really know that it was God who did the work. Um, another quick interesting point here is here this whole time, Gideon is speaking to the angel of the Lord. Now, we don't know, but most people believe, and I'm one of them, that the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate Christ. And a time in the Bible where it says the, the angel of the Lord, we are to believe that it is a pre-incarnate Christ, meaning Christ showing up in the Old Testament before actually being born. Now, that is, that is really neat. So, the battle happens in chapter 8, and then there's some more that Gideon does in, uh, sorry, in chapter 7, and then Gideon does a little bit more in chapter 8, and they're both wonderful. I hope you read them throughout the week. If not, read them this week. They're really, really interesting. Gideon, the Lord is very much with Gideon, and Gideon conquers he actually lives into this title that, that the Lord gave him of being a mighty warrior. Really powerful stuff. So I believe that as someone believes about themselves, they act in 
accordance to that. Um, said differently, that your beliefs shape your identity. So, again, what determines, determines your identity? What is the ultimate authority on who you truly are? Is it your thoughts? Is it your actions? Is it your past? Is it what people have spoken over you in the past? These aren't always bad things. These can a lot of times be good things. But we have to be careful. We have to be very careful about what we allow to define us. The ultimate source, the ultimate authority on who we are is who God says that we are. With this, I think there should be a, a word of warning. When God speaks into our life, when God speaks something, oftentimes the devil will whisper something in our ear. You may remember the original why. The original deception of the devil was to say, God didn't really mean what he said. Hey? God didn't really mean what he said. Sure, he said that, but that doesn't include you. You're somehow less than. That can be true about other people, but it's not going to be true for you. These are the things that the devil tries to speak into my life, and so we need to be very careful to guard what does God say that we are, because we can look in our rearview mirror. I can look in my rearview mirror, and I can choose what's true, or I can choose what's true. That might be confusing. Just because something's happened in my life, just because I've done something or said something or been a certain way in the past, it doesn't mean that I have to continue to be that way. Take stock of who God says you are. I grew up a lot of my life not believing that I was in any way smart or talented. Yeah, pretty much in anything. <laughs> and, and I do mean this sincerely. And at a certain point, I have to just ask myself, who does God say that I am? I, ha I had good reason to believe I wasn't smart. I had, my report card was D's and C's. My report card for high school, my high school average was a 63. That's really bad. I had good reason to believe that. But as I begin to listen to the Lord and what he said, I began to see he didn't see me that way. And so I can read books and I can apply myself and it, it can actually change. Now, I think when we hear all this, we say, yeah, that could easily be true for young people because young people are more easily moldable and their, their identities are kind of more fluid, right? It's interesting. If you spend any time at a high school, at a local high school, you will see that 
There are so many different types of people, and everyone wears their present perceived identity in their clothes. If someone likes sports, you know they like sports because they're wearing a sports shirt. If someone likes a type of music, you know because of the way they're wearing the band shirt. Or Everyone totally exemplifies who it is, but this is so true for people who are more established in their identity as well. If we are a little bit off on who we think we are or on who we think God thinks we are, we can be living differently. We can be living with a little bit of a lie. One of the lies that we can tell ourselves is that, well, I'm socially awkward. And when that happens, when we're in a social environment, we can kind of keep our head down and we're not really looking at people in the eyes or whatever. And so we're not receiving the cues that we probably could have received if we would have been looking. So we are actually perpetuating this identity of being socially awkward. But who does God say that we are? What if we lean into that? Now, remember, Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Again, it's kind of an odd image. But one of the ways that we can discover this is by reading the Bible, it's by praying, it's, and, and, and what I mean by that is we are examining the scriptures and seeing how Holy Spirit speaks to us, how he speaks to our being through reading the word of God. God will illuminate certain truths about himself and about who we are because in order really to, I think the first step in discovering who we are is discovering whose we are when we can truly grasp whose we are, we can begin to discover who we are. And so, reading the Bible, allowing God's truth to come up and become alive inside of us, God speaking the truth about how much he loves us. That was the first thing. When I read through the New Testament the first time, I just could not believe how much God loved me. And that itself might be a word for someone in here today, that you are loved and that you are accepted by God. To understand, similar to the amazing revelation that Gideon got, that God doesn't see you the way you see yourself. We've talked about this a little bit in Ephesians 2.10. says that God, God sees you as a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. What if we really cling to that? What if we really grab on to that, get a hold of that, that God sees me as a masterpiece? So understand that God doesn't see you the way that you see yourself. Knowing whose you are, which will lead to understanding who you are. Reading the Bible, praying, having people pray for you. Taking stock of whenever God pricks your heart or opens your eyes. He's he's showing you who you are. Another thing that I would like to 
share is, is the idea of creating a list. So I've created a list for myself. You can see it's, it's well used. These are, it's entitled Daily Affirmations. These are things that I believe that I need to hear, that I believe these are ways that I need to identify myself. And so I remind myself of these things frequently. And I think that is a very powerful thing. It's when God speaks something into your life, you can easily forget it. You need to very much familiarize yourself with God's truth because the devil will try to whisper in your ear and he'll try to take away that seed that God is planting. If we remind ourselves of God's truth, that is the best way to protect it. Now I want to end with, with two stories. Uh, and and these, are, these are both true stories. There was this uh, Christian man, his name is Jamie Winship, and he, he has a long and amazing history. But what he does presently is he goes to schools and, and he does, for lack of a better term, motivational speeches. He is, a, he is a Christian man, if I didn't say that. The principal was so touched by his speech one time that he invited him to come to his office after. He said, I have a boy and I can't get him to talk. We have identified this young boy as a potential school shooter. We firmly believe that someday in the future he will, be, he, he will do a, a school shooting, but we can't ever get him to talk. Both One of his parents was, had passed on, the other parent was in jail. He was living with his grandpa, his grandpa couldn't get him to talk either. So. Jamie agreed to it, and he's trying to get the boy to talk, and he's asking these questions, and he's not answering anything. Finally, he asks him, who are you? What is your identity? The boy says, invisible. My identity is invisible. Now that in itself is heartbreaking. But Jamie counters, because he's in a public school, he has to ask, who does love say that you are? It's an amazing question. Who does God say that you are? He says, love says I'm a musical genius. <laughs> so he talks to, Jamie talks to the, uh, the boy's grandfather. He says, well, he's never played an instrument before, but I'll sign him up for lessons. So he signs him up for lessons. Within a year, the boy has written several songs. He went from being on the watch list for a school shooter to being on the principal's best behave list. It was this word from someone who chose to partner with God and being a minister of reconciliation in the world around them. And it changed the trajectory of this boy's life. A word changed the trajectory. A word from the Lord changed the trajectory of this boy's life. Another story is with football star, and, and I say that with a smile, as you'll soon find out, Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow, right out of, high, out of college, started a charity where he wanted to help young people thrive all, all across the board. And 
He's doing this in, in many different ways. He's created hospitals and many things. It, it's actually quite amazing. Now, a short time ago, he tried to make a, a comeback to football. And he felt like God was in it. He felt like he talked to some mentors, talked to some pastors. Everyone's like, yeah, it seems like a good idea. Go for it. And what happened is he got cut. He didn't make it. Now, why is this significant? Because I just called him Tim Tebow, the sports star. His whole life, he has identified a certain way. Maybe this is true for you as well. It's something good, too. It's a good thing. He was known as this. The next day, there was some significant civil unrest on the other side of the world, and so he was able to go on a plane and, and help out on the ground floor, on ground zero, and make a significant difference. Mind you, he did it grumpy. He did it upset. He was still crushed because he had just been cut. His identity had just been thrashed. Now, he said it took him about a month to realize this, but he couldn't have done that if he would have made the team. His, God was shifting his identity. Instead of being Tim Tebow, the sports star, he's now the, the child of God, the person who is making a difference in other people's lives. Just because you've seen something a certain way, it doesn't mean that it is that way. In the story of Gideon, I find it very interesting. He self-identifies as being the least of the least. Now, I don't think that's true. In chapter 8 of verse 18, as Gideon is conquesting people, uh, says he was inquiring about his brothers, and so the person said, what kind of people did you kill? He said, men like you, they answered, each one with the bearing of a prince. Isn't that interesting? While Gideon sees himself as being the least of the least, this man viewed him as being a prince. Just because he viewed something about himself, it didn't mean that it was true. Who is a prince? Prince is the son of the king. We just sang that I am a child of God. Each of us has the bearing of a prince or a princess because we are children of the king of kings. That is an identifier. That should change the way that we view ourselves. Gideon's life was forever changed by a word from the Lord. My life was forever changed by a word from the Lord. The, the boy in the story who found out who does love say that he is, his life was forever changed by a word from the Lord. Who does God say that you are? Let's pray. Father God, as we ask this question, who do you say that we are? What does God say about you? God, I pray that you speak to people's hearts. 
God, speak to people's hearts in a way that no one else in this room could. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Come, Lord, and do what only you can do.